Welcome to The Way Station, an interview podcast featuring trailblazers who set their own career paths. My name is Noah Reed, and today my guest is Garrett Gibbons. Garrett is a self-described media guy, involved in photography, video, and media production in many ways. We talk about starting a business, working on music videos, and bringing back the musical. Let's get going. Hi, Garrett. How you doing? I'm doing great, Noah. Good. Good. So you've been traveling this week. Uh, you're off a... Uh, on a on a film shoot, right? Yeah, I mean it was a it was a music video shoot for a record label and we were in New York and primarily filming in Manhattan and in uh Philadelphia, but a few other locations too. Cool. So so why don't you tell us uh what what do you do, Garrett? That's a complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> you you sound like my in-laws. <laughs> yeah. What exactly is it that you do? Um, I work in media. I, like many people these days, I specialize in many things, which obviously is a contradiction. Um, but I, I I do a lot of music videos. I direct and film music videos. I edit a lot for, um, kind of bigger projects with major studios in LA. I, um, I also am a photographer I do some commercial photography, and though I'm always trying to phase it out, I still do some wedding photography with my wife. We have a side business. So we definitely have a diverse um, set of tools that are bringing income, but it, you know, and it's all related to cameras and, and uh, visual storytelling, but some pretty, pretty diverse areas, really. Okay. Well, I mean, and that, that is pretty diverse. So... Uh, let's go back and uh, a ways and kind of figure out h- how you got into that. So, what what were some of the early creative memories that you have? Um, you know, I've always been like a visual artist. I made comic books and sold them to kids in elementary school. Like I had them fill out subscription forms, and they would pay like twenty five cents <laughs> an issue. And I would photocopy them at my neighbor's photocopy machine. (laughs) I think he had one in his home office. Um, And he was just entertained by the fact that this 10-year-old was like, you know, I'd come in and be like, can I use your Xerox machine again? He's like, of course, of course. Let me, you know. (laughs) Um, And, you know, like I I just, as soon as we, my family got a video camera, I was making movies with like toy Godzilla and toy monster. And I would have them light each other on fire. And we do voiceovers and my brothers and I, and, kind of weird campy special effects using explosions and fake blood made out of spaghetti sauce and stuff like that. Um, when I got into high school, we had a really good film photography program and I took, um, as many semesters as they would let me of just, you know, darkroom photography shot a lot on an old seventies era Nikon really enjoyed that, but I never thought that it would be a career. I actually always was planning on medical school. I went to college, um, as a pre-med student and, uh, it was just before I was applying to medical schools that I got married and my wife was kind of like, so you, you're always making movies. I I was working at a TV station during college to pay for things. Um, she was like, you're always making movies. You're always taking photos. All you talk about are stories and screenplays and you're going to make this movie and you're going to do this project. And you want to do this music video and you, and you want to be a doctor. And I was like, well, yeah, cause it's, 
no one can make money off of media. You know, like it's like planning on winning the lottery. Yeah. (laughs) You you, you just can't do it. I'm like, so, you know, like I'll be a heart surgeon and that'll be my, you know, primary source of income. And then I'll do stuff on the side. That makes sense. And she's like, it doesn't make any sense. And she, she finally, thankfully talked me out of it. But, um, since then, I mean, really for like my entire life, I had not considered anything other than medicine. And so suddenly I was trying to figure out, you know, this business and marketing and all this stuff, you know, like I always plan to just be part of like a hospital ecosystem and not really have to worry about invoicing and collecting and insurance and business costs and licensing and all this stuff. And so it's just been a really interesting, uh, journey. I think I made that decision around 2007. So it's, it's been a crazy adventure since then. Yeah. So do you, did you come from a creative family or, um, or were you kind of the lone, the lone, um, creative guy? Well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely not the only creative person in my family. Um, I mean, my dad's an attorney, but he's also like a poet and a creative writer and a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I learned most of my storytelling culture from him and, and his mom and dad also. There's this really strong Welsh, um, storytelling tradition on that side of the family that it's just, you know, these long epic tales about stuff that's just completely improvised. And we'd ask him to repeat it later and he couldn't remember the details. So he'd be like, Oh no, that I can't tell you that story again, you know? But, yeah. um, my mom is, a she was a jazz vocalist and she was a music major and a performer and a, you know, more of a performance artist. And so consequently there are four kids in our family and most of us have been pretty seriously involved in creative endeavors. Oh, wow. That is quite the, you've got quite the, the, the incubator there in your house. Yeah, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> so what, one thing that I know that you, that you've been involved in as well is, uh, is dance. Why don't you tell me about that a little bit? So I've always been a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not I wasn't particularly trained until a little bit later on. Like, I think my mom put me in tap lessons at my request when I was maybe four years old, mm-hmm. but I quit, um, after a couple months, you know, it was interesting, but not that interesting to me. Um, my sister was a highly trained ballerina. And then when she got a little older, she dove into modern and she's had all sorts of, you know, she's like, a, was a big deal dancer. Um, and so I, I didn't ever think of myself as like the trained dancer in the family, but eventually I, I, I saw a ballroom competition and I saw the Latin ballroom, like specifically Paso Doble, which is the dance featured in Strictly Ballroom. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, I saw it danced by these just amazing top level professionals and it blew me away and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I dove in, you know, completely hundred percent. And within a few years I was touring with the BYU ballroom dance company, which is like a, basically a world-class formation company and competition company. And that's where I met my wife and we competed together. Um, and I've always been involved in dance. And so I work a lot with, I mean, part of my passion is I like, I want to revive the movie musical. That's my career goal, my long-term goal. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm convinced that it has to happen in a really different way than, you know, the fifties musicals. And you see some kind of campy, you know, fifties style musicals made today. And they're kind of received ironically and they're, they're fun because they're sort of like an old antiquated genre, but it's, I think that there's some sort of new thing that is being discovered that needs to happen, which is somewhere more between, 
you know, contemporary film with contemporary sensibilities and like a music video, which is part of why I work so heavily in music videos now is to kind of train my aesthetic. But obviously dance and music are big elements in that as well as acting and storytelling and everything else. But so, um, yeah, I, I try to work with as many types of dancers as often as I can. I've been able to work with some of the best in the world in a couple of different styles from ballet to break dancing to crumping and waving and, um, ballroom and tap and swing and flamenco. Wow. Well, yeah. well, I, uh, I was going to ask you how, how kind of dance has informed your work, but it sounds like, um, it sounds like it's it is really my work. Of, it is your work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, a lot of it comes up. It's funny when I worked at, um, a PBS station for a while in college, my, uh, w one of the like executive guys that would occasionally oversee, he, he would always comment on my editing. Cause I was primarily an editor there. He was like, when you edit sports, I can tell that you're a dancer. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you, you know, he, he was just like, there's, there's movement between the clips and, you know, like I see, I don't know, it just fits better. And he's like, it feels like a dance the way you do it. And it, it has timing and it has pacing and, and, and which I feel the editing should, you know, good editing should have that anyway, but maybe it just sort of like a, you know, local PBS satellite type of level. Um, that's not something that they were seeing, but but yeah, it's always fun for people to say like, wow, it's almost like dance. And they don't even know that I'm related, <laughs> you know, that that's like my thing. But um, I view it as a great compliment when anyone says anything like that. And I think that most people don't think that, but, but I remember when they do. Yeah. I watched a video the other day, yesterday, actually, that it was like uh, somebody had, had kind of paint, repainted uh, soccer matches, like famous soccer matches, and they had set it to set it to music. And it did, it looked like a, it, it looked like a dance. I think it's um, having that rhythm in there really can bring some interest to all sorts of subject matters you wouldn't, you wouldn't think of. Cool. So, so you decided to go, so you were on the pre-med track, but then you decided to go the other way and, and be a photographer, filmmaker, you know, video director. Um, mm -hmm. and how did, how was it starting that business? What were some of the challenges you had to overcome? Well, basically I had no idea what I was doing and I had no startup capital. I was like a broke recent graduate. <laughs> I mean, it was, the economy was so bad in like 2008 specifically yeah. that, um, like I, I applied to Safeway and they didn't call me. I, I applied to Costco. They didn't call me. It's like, I was just trying to get like any job. Couldn't not to say that Safeway and Costco are like any job, but like, there's just, you know, like yeah. no one was hiring anybody. And I contacted some of the people and I said, well, what are the odds for this position? And for one position I looked into, there were like 250 applicants for two openings. Oh, wow. It's just insane. And, you know, I looked at um, local job offerings. I, I moved back to Seattle, which is where I'm originally from. Mm -hmm. My wife and I moved here. And, you know, there was an opening at a TV station similar to what I had had um, at, the, at the other PBS station. And the pay was horrible. And I, but I applied anyway, and that was one of the ones where I looked at, you know, and they said that there, it was like a hundred to one applicants per position. Um, and it just blew me away. I'm like, what's, this is not a well-paying, it's, it's kind of a bad job at a mediocre local TV station that doesn't pay well. And the competition's incredible. And there are people applying 
because I saw evidence on Facebook groups of local, you know, like the film production stuff in Seattle. People were like, hey, does anyone know anyone at this TV station? I'm trying to get in. I just put my resume in. Someone else like, me too, me too. And these were guys with 20 or 25 years of experience. Some of them had shot for like Discovery Channel and all this stuff. And I'm like some kid with barely a portfolio. Yeah. So um, basically, you know, we lived in my parents' downstairs for like three months and I just started working even if I didn't get paid for it I offered myself to do concert photography for musicians that I you know felt like I could support for free you know I uh did a two music videos for free for people I had never actually done a real one before and so it was they were kind of a little bit leery of you know well what do you mean you never done anything I said well I've done a lot of other stuff just never a music video and so Thankfully, got some trust with some big artists and, or you know, lo on the local scene, and got um, got some attention that way. And then just you know, marketing, learning about SEO, getting my website up to snuff, getting reviews out of everybody possible, doing free photo shoots for people so that they would do reviews and <laughs> they would repost it. Just kind of everything to get the ball rolling and to establish as much of a presence as possible. And I think within a year, and it took about a year. Um, we were earning an income that we could kind of live off of okay. before that. It was just basically like running up debt on visa and, you know, like yeah. it was, it was pretty scary. It was really scary. But and my wife and I were talking about this last night, how if, if we weren't desperate, like if there were a backup plan, if there were a day job, I could have gone back to and sort of like thought about it for a while. Like, I don't know. Do I want to do this full time? Do I really want to get into media? I might've never made it, you know, because it just required a 100% commitment. Like we, mm -hmm. we had a little baby. I, we had no money. There was nothing, you know, I was just like, we got to do something or we're all going to just die in the cold. And so it was a 150% effort at all times, exhausting, terrifying, but you know, eventually it's, it worked. So I am grateful. Yeah. Yeah, that was a rough time to graduate. I graduated around the same time in 2000, oh gosh, 2009, I believe, and, um, hmm. and uh, or 2000, 2008 or 2009, and um, I remember going to, for an informational interview with a designer, it was a pretty, pretty, it was a pretty big deal in the community, and I remember, <laughs> the only thing I, he told me other things too, but the only thing I remember him telling me was like, you just picked a horrible time to graduate from college. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was it's like, great. Thank, thank you. <laughs> so glad to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that was rough, but well, so you, you stuck with it and it, and it's, and it seemed to has been seemingly has, has, has gone fairly well for you as time has gone on. Um, what were some of the things that, uh, that really kind of helped you break over the hump? Is there anything you can look back on and identify? You know, when people ask me kind of like, so how did you do it? I'm trying to do something similar. I uh -huh. basically tell them I, I had like 10 to 15 extremely risky, lucky breaks in a row in rapid succession that all directly fed into each other. Mm. <laughs> and and that's, you know, providence or incredible luck or fate or perseverance. You pick it. But I mean, you know, like the, the main thing is not giving up. Yeah. Um, and looking back in retrospect, I see that this is like my natural, you know, this is a wonderful place for me to have ended up. And if I had been in like a nine to five day job, 
micromanaged by some executive type, I would have just gone crazy and I would have done horrible work. And I, you know, just, it's yeah. just not, wouldn't have been a, the best place for me. So I'm, I see now that I was headed in the right direction, but all along the way, I was highly skeptical. I, I didn't, I didn't think that I, I was cut out for small business ownership. I didn't think that I was cut out for, um, entrepreneurship or marketing and all these things that later, you know, now I, I work closely with a lot of marketing agencies and then, you know, for commercial photography and for, um, TV ads and things like that. And obviously like music marketing is a huge aspect of music videos and timing and all that type of stuff. And it was all new to me. And so it was just, you know, dive in, learn everything. But another piece of advice for anybody that's trying to do something similar is use the internet. There are so many blogs and resources and, and, uh, discussion boards and forum threads and things. You can learn so many things. I mean, there's still are things you can obviously only learn by doing them, mm -hmm. but you know, basic stuff like, okay, should I file as an S core or a C core on my taxes? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, so, but a little bit of Google searching and you find a bunch of creatives in the state of Washington that are talking about how they file and why they chose to do one or the other. And it obviously doesn't, um, doesn't supplant the need for like a CPA, but I also couldn't afford a CPA when I made that decision. There was no yeah. way I was going to be able to, you know, it's like, no, I'm just trying to get my, my, uh, the money the government's offering me. I just need to figure out how to file for it. You know, like, <laughs> like below the poverty line, especially that first year, like, you know, the, one of the biggest checks I got was from the IRS and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and now we're paying money and it's, and I'm just thrilled about it. I remember the first time that we, finished up with TurboTax and we're like, wow, we're actually going to pay a couple grand this year. It's like, that's awesome. Like we're making money, you know? Um, but, but yeah, so there's the resources are out there and if it's your passion, you can just dive in and go for it. And I highly recommend that. Yeah. But you know, and, and if you're a play it safe type of person, spend a year or two and just save up a ton of money if you can. Yeah. <laughs> Because because you'll you'll need that like living buffer you know that to pay the basic bills and there's there's such you know I mean the old saying that it takes money to earn money you got to spend money to make money mm -hmm. is really true it's just, it's so helpful to be able to have a little bit of operating capital and I really don't recommend just using Visa and Mastercard as your operating capital yeah because um, it just takes years to pay it down I mean you know we were in a position where that was like it and it's like okay I need a camera go to Glacier's camera with the, you know, it's like swipe. At least we got some airline miles out of it. Yeah. Got a camera. Like hope we can pay this off soon. Um, definitely not a low business or low interest rate business loan. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I, th I think a lot of it, like you were saying, just depends on the kind of person you are. You know, if, if you're, if you're the kind of person that is uncomfortable with inconsistent income and, and, and stuff like that, you, you've got to save money for it. Cause I, I don't know any other way because I don't know, having, having done kind of side projects at the same time as regular work and, and you know, th there's, there's no way to make a living out of it until you're dedicating yourself full time to it. So, yeah. And th there's something about a small business and especially a creative small business in that your income will never, ever, ever be even. And I found that that's true even of relatively high-end industry professionals that are directing feature films and producing feature films because it's it's all project-based. Yeah. So, you know, what we've learned is to just always have several months of living expenses in the savings account and you leave it only for emergencies and just act as though you don't actually have that money. And, you know, obviously... It, 
has taken us a couple of years of running the business to get to that point. But, um, yeah, you've, you've got to kind of create your own buffer by, you know, like give yourself the ability to have a regular set of payments by, by saving up as you get stuff. And, and that's, I think that's part of running a business in a smart way, which we didn't realize at the beginning, cause we've just been making up as we go is that because it's never going to be regular, um, you just, you, you have to like pay yourself before you even pay your water bill. You know, it's yeah. like, this is going to the savings account and it's just got to stay there because next month, who knows, you know, and sometimes this, yeah, this big ticket client comes in and you invoice them and they should, the invoice should come in time to pay rent, but maybe it doesn't. Yeah. And maybe it comes a week late and then suddenly your landlord is threatening to kick you out and you've, you know, it's just, you, you can't afford to be in those types of situations in, unless, you know, if you have any other option. So, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of cases. Like, if you have a client who doesn't live in the United States, sometimes your bank will take longer to, you know, clear that yeah. check. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's all sorts of little things that you just have no idea. So if you don't have any buffer, it's it's just a hard way to live. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people burn out or get divorced or break up with their girlfriend or, you know, get addicted to. <laughs> to drugs to cope with it or play video games all day. You know I mean? It's, it can be really dark and depressing. And so I'd say, yeah, just run it, learn about how to run a small business in a smart way. Yeah. And ideally learn about it before you start the business, but you may not have an option. You know, yeah. Like we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's advice. That's uh that's, that's easy to give some, but sometimes pretty hard to take. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, well, so you've got the business kind of up and running at this point. What does a typical day look like for you? Or do you have any typical days? Um, you know, it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have typical days related to a certain project, you know, for maybe three or four or five days, maybe even two weeks or three weeks mm-hmm. where I'm in kind of a rhythm, but then it just, everything changes. I'm constantly balancing uh, meetings with clients, editing projects that have already been shot, pre-producing things that I'm going to shoot and then obviously getting out and shooting. Yeah. Um, and depending on what's up, I mean, you know, like I, I frequently set up mini sabbaticals for myself where I'll have like a month where I don't, it's all for me. And I just work on personal projects and things that eventually will make money, you know, that are kind of more long-term projects, but, um, not for any specific client and without fail, every time I set one of those up, you know, like, um, say that that month is going to start on Monday on Thursday before I get a call from somebody saying, Hey, could you do this emergency thing? We'll pay you top dollar. We'll fly you across the country or out of the country and we need it now. And we'll, we'll pay you double your rate or whatever. (laughs) It's like, well, okay. You know? Um, yeah. So it's just, it's a very erratic, unpredictable business where I am. Um, I know that other types of creative professionals have more, um, consistency and more reliability but for some reason especially a lot of stuff in film production tv and video is very much last minute a lot of things you know i mean this justin bieber music video i worked on i got the call maybe two days before i flew to la oh man um and i had all sorts of other stuff set up and i just basically called a bunch of clients and said uh can we can we just push this back five days I'm like, well, why i'm like 
you know, I've got to go to LA for this, for this thing. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a big opportunity. I hate the music, but it's a good opportunity. <laughs> Justin, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I hate your music. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure he is listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> so, um, well, uh, so you, you end up having to travel a lot and do kind of a lot of, I mean, every time I, every, I see on your Twitter all the time, like, you know, you're out in the street somewhere shooting, shooting some video with somebody and, and stuff like that. What is, what is, how do you, how do you balance all that travel and all that kind of erratic, the erratic schedule with your family? Cause I know you have a young family. Yeah. Well, whenever it's a big project, I try to bring my family. Mm. Um, we have a five-year-old that just barely started kindergarten last week. So, um, things are, we're going to have to be a little more responsible, I guess, but you know, we had a or I, I got a gig doing a time lapse in Gibraltar of a construction installation, and they wanted to start to finish time lapse, and so I did it all on DSLRs, which normally they're done on like little kind of like webcam level yeah. things, and so it was it was a cool deal. It was really big, um, and they, but yeah, I, I think they came to me a couple of days before Thanksgiving, and they said, "Can you be there on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, oh, in man. Gibraltar?" And it takes like two days to get there. You know, once your flight leaves. We didn't have a passport for our youngest kid. You know, it was all this kind of nightmare stuff. And so I just said, well, you know, you'll have to pay me some, you have to pay more than my normal rate for it because it's last minute. And thankfully they said yes. And that more than the normal rate was enough to, you know, to fly the rest of my family out. We had just a couple little kids, you know, they're yeah. under two, they're free. And I, I had to rent an apartment anyway, so they came with me, and they just hung out on the beach and walked around town and had a great time. And so I, I got to come <laughs> home at the end of the day, and it was great. But um, when I when I go by myself, um, you know, it's rarely for more than a week, and I don't know. I mean, I, I'm gone when I'm gone. I call in and check in, and, you know, my wife and I send pictures and videos, and we call each other and all this stuff. But when I get home, I really try to be home. Like I, I, like I said, I've been on the East coast for a week or so. And I got back day before yesterday and basically all day yesterday. And today I've just been, you know, I've kind of had the kids climbing on me and we're playing with cars and we're playing in the yard and jumping on the trampoline. And, and it's wonderful to be able to have the flexibility where I can just really spend all day with them. That is nice. In fact, my three-year-old right now is upset because I came in to do this interview <laughs> i had to turn on a movie for him he's like he's like why don't you watch the movie with me i'm like you know I, I i gotta gotta talk to somebody so well so i i think um i think that's another that's another thing that a lot of young prof professionals especially freelancers like trying to figure out how to balance you know their work with the family can be pretty hard because you know with a regular job you come home at five or six or seven if you're late but you're done basically mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about it but with freelance i mean your computer's always right there and it's 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 kind of hard to 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 really just turn away from it but yeah and that's i mean if i can kind of riff on that a little bit yeah. one of because you know jill my wife and i have been running the photography business since the beginning and she initially was producing most of the video stuff out too. She does less of that now because we have more kids. But um, one thing we've struggled with a lot early on, and you know, it's less of a struggle now because we figured out methods is how to separate workspace from home space when you're running a business out of your home. Mm. And, you know, we've had, we've 
sublet studio space and we've worked with creative partners and things to have like other places to work and nothing really gelled really well. Um, so we've stayed with basically having a home office. We just, you know, have a house with an extra bedroom. That's the office. And we have a couple computers in here and all of the gear and stuff. And, um, I treat it where basically I go to the office in the morning, you know, mm -hmm. even if it's just up the stairs and down the hall. Um, and the kids know that if one of the parents is in there, you don't come in and start yelling or start demanding things because they may be on the phone with the client or trying to get some work done or something. But the nice thing is that, you know, though these other people, I see people commuting to work and, you know, maybe they leave at six or seven in the morning, they get back at six or seven at night, maybe they get home a little earlier, but in my mind, they're gone all day. I'm at least home when I'm home. Mm. And... You know, there are things like we have a little baby and if there's like she has a diaper blowout and then the three-year-old throws up and then the five-year-old runs out the front door and nobody knows where he is, my my wife just screams, two-parent alarm, two-parent alarm. And I, if I can, which is almost always, I drop what I'm doing and run out and help and, and I'm there and it's great, you know. And so it's, yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, in, I'm very much involved. I change a lot of diapers. I um, spoon feed a lot of preheated baby food. I uh, make a lot of meals. I wash the car. I mow the lawn. And, you know, I, I it all balances out. Sometimes I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and work on a project for an hour or two before anybody else wakes up. And then I'll work late into the night, you know, if there's a lot going on during the day where I'm needed. But I, my family, well, I hope they would say <laughs> that they feel like I'm, I'm a very involved father. And I, I feel like I'm very involved in it, that I have a close relationship with my kids and I'm able to spend a lot of time with them which is hugely important for me. That's one of the big factors that I considered when I chose to not work in a nine to five type of setting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think um, there's more and more people who are kind of working in that situation where they maybe work yeah. from home or work part, at least part of the time from home. And mm -hmm. I think if, if you can strike the balance where you can still get the stuff done that you need to, I think it's, it's going to lead to a lot of, I hope happier homes because people are around more. I think it's kind of, it's kind of an unnatural thing that has happened since our society became so industrialized that, you know, dad goes off to work and doesn't, you don't see him for 10 hours, you know? I, yeah. I, or, or mom and dad go to work and the kids are at daycare all day and they, you know, I mean, it's just, or with a nanny. Uh -huh. Yeah. It, it's hard. And I know a lot of parents that want to spend more time with their kids, but they're like, it's, I just can't pay the bills unless both parents are working and mm -hmm. we got to put the kid in daycare. What are you, you going to do? And it's, and it's a dilemma. And I'm grateful that we somehow are able to avoid that. Yeah. But, but I know a lot of people that wish that they weren't in that situation that, that are, and I, you know, sensitive to that, I guess. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think just kind of the strides that are being, or the efforts are being made to, to have people able to work from home more often. I think it's a, it can only yeah. be a good thing in the long run. Yeah. Unless you're working for Yahoo. <laughs> yeah. Then you're out of luck. <laughs> yeah. Even though she brings her, kids to work and has a like daycare adjacent to her office. We're talking about the CEO. What's her name? Uh, Marissa Meyer. Meyer. Yeah. 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 She, uh, Mar she... Marissa, if you're listening, I'm never going to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just burning all sorts of bridges today. Yeah. That's right. Just keep them burning. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with a couple more people for you to, to, yeah. to, to burn bridges with. <laughs> so, so, um, you've done a lot of, uh, music video work and I know you, but you've also done a, I think, I'm not sure how it came about, but you've kind of worked on a side project that's a documentary about um, 
about Gibraltar. Um, what could you tell me a little bit about that? Well, the short story is um, I was a missionary for the LDS Church in 2000 and 2001 in southern Spain, and just speaking Spanish all the time. And on a you know, like we took a day off and went to Gibraltar to just check it out and see the monkeys. And I heard this really crazy mix of Spanish and English mixed with all these other words from other languages that kids were speaking in the street. And I was blown away by it. And later when I went to school and was studying linguistics for one of, you know, some paper in some class, um, I chose to study the, the language mixing, the patois, the code switching that, that happens in Gibraltar. And I found that there was almost no, nothing published, very little research, almost nothing recorded audio or visual or anything. So I applied for some grant money and basically ended up in Gibraltar with some cameras and production equipment that I had borrowed and uh, with the intent to just record Yanito in the wild. Yanito is the name of their language. That's kind of this crazy Spanglish that's been going on for hundreds of years in a really closed community. So it's developed in really specific ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And my, my big plan was to talk about, you know, because when, when you talk to these people, they'll just speak to me in English knowing that I'm American because it's like their hidden language. And if you talk to them in Spanish, they'll speak in pure Spanish. And it's very difficult, given that it's a small community, to get them to actually speak in this, you know, this mix. So I was, I was trying to set up all these situations where people were conversing with each other freely, but with the consent of the camera running, because with IRB research um, guidelines or, you know, rules, you can't like record someone against their consent and things like that. Yeah. So I would I would set up interviews under the guise of being a political documentary hoping to get them all upset and hot and bothered about politics and, and revert into their, their stuff. And as a result, I got very little Yanito and a lot of politics, but I, so I, I made the film anyway and I, you know, got an A or whatever, <laughs> you know, like appeased the grant board or whatever. And, um, released that in early 2009. It was just, you know, like a student film on DV type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, Anyway, it got a huge amount of traction in Gibraltar, and they said, well, you know, we could actually, as you apparently know, there's like nothing anywhere about our little country. And so if you'd like to come back, we'll we'll help you make it happen. And so I, I ran a Kickstarter campaign to get more money to come back and film more and augment the footage. And this time I went with DSLRs, you know, the 5D Mark II happened in between. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the footage looks better, and there are all these new tools, and I was able to bring a steady cam and do all this time-lapse stuff. And... Um, I think I've been back there three or four times since then for that project. And it's kind of like an ongoing documentary that's almost finished. I have a fairly active YouTube channel and blog and Facebook page. The, it's called People of the Rock, colon, the Yanitos of Gibraltar. And Yanito is L-L-A-N-I-T-O-S, but People yeah. of the Rock. And um, so I'm posting like interview clips and stuff like that as I go. And it's kind of this weird, you know like 21st century social media documentary experiment where as segments of the film are finished or, you know, like uncut interviews, I post them online and people are referencing them and reusing them. And, um, the comments threads are just crazy. Hundreds of people arguing bitterly back and forth. (laughs) I, I need to turn off my, my, uh, YouTube notification emails because, you know, like sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and there are like 45 emails from two people that are just battling it back and forth on the comments of one of my YouTube, you know, it's just, that's YouTube. Yeah. But, um, 
Except this is like a bunch of 50 and 60 year old men that are like, you know, battling out their turf because Spain thinks that Gibraltar is theirs and Gibraltar wants to be independent, but they rely on the United Kingdom for protection, but the United Kingdom's not doing a good job of protecting them recently. And so it's the, anyway, that's kind of the situation. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting kind of grand experiment in rolling out. It's like a slow release documentary that everyone's seeing clips as they're done and stuff. And Hopefully, I mean, I have plenty of tricks up my sleeve and there are great segments that I haven't shown anyone yet because I want the movie to actually have something in it, but yeah, you know, that the people haven't seen already. Well, that, that, that's, that's super interesting to me. Um, how does, so this has kind of been a side project for, for you. How do you, how does, how does the side projects that you do help you, um, help you in your everyday work that you do for clients and for bands and, and everybody? Well, I can give you two quick examples. I mean, one is, you know, for fun, I made two music videos for artists who I really felt passionately about. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was coming out, you know, this is how I got my start. This guy, Ross Sion, who is the MC of Common Market. I'm really into like underground hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was coming out with a new project and he didn't, wasn't with a record label. He wanted to do it all independent, didn't have any money to pay anyone for music video. So there was going to be no music video. And so through Twitter, I sent a thing to him and his wife and was like, we should talk if you guys want a music video. And I think within like an hour or two, he sent me an email and was like, how serious are you? Let's talk. And so they came over <laughs> for dinner and, and we planned it out and made this great thing. And it got a bunch of press. It was, you know, made some, you know, got some kind of like local awards and recognition on the, on the music scene. And it, you know, it was great. Um, some bigger photographers and producers like Chase Jarvis acknowledged it and kind of like, you know, put it out there. And I got my name mentioned in some big places and that led to, tens and tens of thousands of dollars of similar work for other bands over even just the next year. And that's okay. kind of how I paid the bills, um, for them, for that, that first year. And, you know, those numbers were still low cause I was still beginning. And, you know, now I've, it's kind of a more sustainable thing that pays for itself and I'm not going to go broke if I keep doing it. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, doing a passionate project for free was great, but of course word got out that I did a free video for Ross Sion. And so suddenly I had all these guys from Tacoma that were like, Hey, yo, you know, I got this song, you know, we're going to want to get some fly honeys in the hot tub, you know, show some rims, you know, like, you know, smoke some weed, you know, and it'd just be cool, you know, and you, I figure you can do it for free. You know, you can just hook a brother up. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I did, I did one because I really felt like I could get behind this guy, you know, uh, -huh. uh and, uh, and, and I, and I did it so I would have creative license and I could really do what I felt. I, you know, like what I wanted to do and yeah. do something that was really indicative of, of my creative vision and people like that. And as a result, I've gotten work, but it doesn't mean I just do work for free, but you know, so there's always this question that gets bounced around the internet. Like, should you ever work for free? And there's some really hilarious infographics and yeah. you know articles posted about it. But for me, the main thing is don't ever work for free. If somebody asks you to work for free because they're just trying to exploit you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, you know, like I, but I frequently offer, um, you know, like it's always a bigger and bigger name and usually they don't take me up on it, but sometimes they do and it's cool. And often they end up paying me anyway, mm. but you know, they're just, there's some guy in Toronto that I really like. And I sent his manager a message and was like, it, you know, if you ever come to Seattle and you guys want a music video, or if you want to fly me to Toronto, you know, I'd be happy to do it at cost if you can pay for camera rental and travel or whatever. And, uh, you know, I haven't heard back from that guy. Um, yeah. if you're listening, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Music managers in Toronto, listening to the Way Station. I'm sure that I'm sure that I, I, I think I think we're big up in 
with music managers in Toronto. <laughs> I think you are. But um, but sometimes that kind of stuff pays off, and it's really worth it. Uh, Tim Ferriss, the guy that wrote The 4-Hour Workweek, uh-huh. um, kind of an eccentric guy. Tim, if you're listening, sorry for calling you eccentric. Um, but he, one of his things that he's really big on is that he um, he's a big advocate of, like, if you want to talk to the president, get a hold of the president. Like, find find out how to get in contact with somebody and get five minutes of their time. And if you've got something great to pitch to them, make sure that you get the chance to pitch it to them because sometimes they'll say yes. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't just sit around and be like, oh, they'll never listen to me. They'll never care. And so, you know, especially when I was starting out, I would send out a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls and a lot of tweets. And sometimes you got to be kind of like ensnare them and lure them in or whatever, you know, like get yeah. them to <laughs> have the normal conversation first. And it's like, Hey, so how do I do all your media or how do I do your album cover for your next thing? Cause you know, a lot of musicians are really, it's like some unknown entity. They're like, no, 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 I'm going to stick with what I know. And I, you know, it's like yeah. the image is really important and marketing is really important because they have a specific audience and they're expecting a specific thing. So, you know, it makes sense when often they, they say no, but, people say yes. And so anyway, that kind of thing has been really helpful to get the career going. The second thing is like with Gibraltar, you know, I ended up in there a lot and I was filming a lot of time lapses of like clouds and ships coming and going. And, you know, I was trying to show weather systems and stuff like that. that you can kind of only show with time lapse. Yeah. Um, and as a result, if you Google time lapse Gibraltar, my work is like the first two or three pages on Google. And so when this, um, energy company was building a power plant in Gibraltar and they're looking for a time lapse and they wanted to do it, you know, like in Gibraltar for that one because they figured it was a high profile thing because they're trying to move into the Mediterranean or whatever. It's a South American company. Um, they Googled time lapse Gibraltar and it was all me. So they contacted me and it paid really well. So it was like something that started out as a side project mm. turned into a great commercial gig that was wonderful. You know, it was a great company to work with. It was a great experience. And while I was there in my quote free time, I just kept working on the documentary as well as hanging out with my family, obviously, as previously discussed. But, you know, it was it got me back over there and it, it just fed into itself. So if you follow your passions and if you just love something, do it and you'll find a way to make money at it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it happens and it's, and it's amazing when it happens and you're just like, how is this possible? Like, this is what I just, I love tinkering with this stuff and I love doing this and people are paying me for it. Yeah. <laughs> this is incredible. You know, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. You'll actually work plenty because you'll be sending invoices. That's, <laughs> yeah, like that. it's, it's true. Um, th- well, there's a, um, I, I found the same thing in, you know, I, I decided to make an iPhone app a couple of years ago and, um, I made it and it's, it, it itself has only ever made me like 30, 60, hundred bucks a month. But mm-hmm. what it has done is every time I've wanted to talk to somebody about working with them, when they look at my portfolio, the first thing they ask me about is the iPhone app that I made. And That's so awesome. like it's led to, it's led to getting more conversations and, 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 uh, and, uh, you know, working on something like that on your own says a lot about you as a creative person. And so I, I totally agree with you, and it, it's it's led to, to to good things for me, even if it's not directly monetarily. So, yeah, I mean, it's like if you're passionate and if you're willing to just get up and do something, that's the type of person that people want to trust in. They, nobody wants to put the whip to someone's back and make them do it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Well, um, so are, would you say that you're kind of doing your dream work right now? Well, I mean, it's this is phase one of my master plan. I actually don't have that specific <laughs> master plan, but like I mentioned, ultimately I I want to be 
either directing, producing, or filming uh, feature films that involve a, a huge amount of music and dance. Mm. Um, and that's what I'm moving towards. And, you know, I've there, I'm involved in two different screenplays that are being developed right now that are along those lines, you know, so it's, I'm moving in that direction. So in the next five to 10 years, maybe someone will see something yeah. like that. But Well, you've, you've kind of worked, you've worked in obviously a lot of music videos and, and some dance videos and things like that. But you've also, you worked uh, a little bit on, did, did you work a little bit on that LXG thing that, uh, that Hulu was doing or? What? Yeah. The LXD, LXD the Legion yeah. of Extraordinary Dancers. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I assisted one of the directors. There were four directors involved and there was one of them is a guy named Charles Oliver. who's a good friend who, um, directed four of the 10 episodes for season three. Yeah. And so I, I was his personal assistant. I basically called him up and was like, you're working on this. I'm coming. Like, what can I do? And he's <laughs> like, well, okay. So I took all his phone calls and emails and stuff, but I was in a lot of creative meetings and ended up being creatively involved in several different ways. And he was grateful for that. I mean, I ended up doing things like, you know, I, I was shooting B roll on a secondary camera when timing was tight. You know, he was yeah. like, you know, give this kid a camera and get up on the hill and, you know, like hide, hide in the grass. Um, and I ended up doing some storyboards, you know, storyboard drawings for a, um, for one of the sequences that we were having trouble visualizing and, you know, kind of a little bit of stuff. And then ultimately I was asked to edit the season finale, which was a really cool oh, okay. uh, set of footage to work with. And that, that's, that project's what led into the Justin Bieber thing. Cause a lot of the same team worked on that weird, it's Santa Claus is coming to town Justin Bieber music video <laughs> in the style of Jackson five steampunk hip hop break dancing Santa Claus wow, Justin Bieber yeah it's it's just like what but, like but quite it was, the... <laughs> anyway check it out um yeah well um so is there any piece of work that that you've done so far that you're particularly proud of I don't know I mean I whenever I finish something. I look at it and I'm just like, yes, and I want to get it out in the world. And then about two months later, I look back at it and I'm like, oh, I've improved since then. Like, this is horrible. I don't want anyone to see it. But I'm not one of these people that goes and, like, deletes all my old blog posts and stuff. I think that that's foolish. Like, I think it's good to have your work out there. Um, but I don't know. I mean, what – something I really like. I mean, my favorite creative project in the last three or four years was a music video for Theoretics, a Seattle-based like live band hip hop group mm -hmm. um called the music video is Jekyll and Hyde and we we did kind of a Victorian era hip hop like rap video using the trappings of the you know like rap video genre expressed through Victorian era stuff in a non-ironic way it was sort of like a drama horror hmm. uh hip hop music video like funny and disturbing i don't know it's just it, i it was easily my favorite project mostly because i got to make a steampunk computer out of like an old victorian picture frame a piece of glass and like an old typewriter and <laughs> we cg'd on like glowing green text on top of it while dr jekyll was in his lab but yeah so check that one out on youtube that's it's it's hokey and it's crazy it's like a b-movie rap video it sounds great yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. And I'm sure most people hate it, but that's like my pet project. I, I, I still love it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can definitely relate to you, you know, that feeling that like, 
five minutes after you release something, you're just like, oh, I hate that. That's why I redo my website every single year. It never lasts more than nine to twelve months, you know. Yeah. But it's uh, it's that's that's the curse of that's the curse of being involved in a creative career. I think. Yeah, so. I mean, and, and if you're satisfied with where you were three years ago, then you should probably retire because you're not <laughs> yeah. moving the ball down the court, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you ever get comfy, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Well, um, so I think to finish off, uh, um, what is – so one of the regular features is, is one of your favorite things. Um, so do you have a favorite thing to share or would you like me to go first? Why don't you go first? I need to think of something. Okay. Um, I think one of the favorite things that I have to share, which I just discovered recently, was have you heard of this dish called chilaquiles? No. Oh, man. It's like a Mexican It's a Mexican dish, and it's like a casserole that they will often serve with breakfast with, like, fried eggs on top, and it's, like, just awesome. And so <laughs> that that would be my thing that I'm sharing. Like, it's it's so good. I, I don't know. I, I feel like half the time I talk about apps and half the time I talk about food on this, on my little favorite thing. So. <laughs> um, how do you spell that? I think it's uh, C-H-I-L-A-Q-U-I-L-E-S. Yeah, that's right. Chilaquiles. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. There's actually a place in Seattle, if you go... Um, have you heard of Tanach? It's like, um, it's, uh, it's up, it's up. Like if, if you go up past Pioneer Square, it's a kind of kitty corner to, a like three blocks up there. There's a fire station. It's like kitty corner to that. And they have, hmm. they have some there. So interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a foodie. I, I don't know where restaurants are. I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm like, Oh, I mean, it sounds like a good dish. You know, it's like my view is like, how much protein does it have? How many fat calories, you know, like, is it, <laughs> well, it's actually, is so, it whole grain or not? <laughs> the, what, the way I make it here, it's actually surprisingly healthy. Cause I mean, corn tortillas, chips, like, the, you know, they're not the healthiest thing in the world, but there's carbs that are a lot worse for you. And then mm-hmm. it's just that in like pe- a pepper sauce. And then on top of that, you, it, you put onions and, um, and uh cheese and grease and well you, you can put <laughs> you can put cheese and eggs if you want but i mean eggs are what 60 calories so yeah so it's pretty the, it's pretty the, good the... you should try it cool yeah i'll check it out no i mean i i like grease and cheese and fat it's a good source of energy <laughs> it keeps me going <laughs> i have a really fast metabolism and if i don't eat all of the time i'm hungry and i like start like you know passing out i have a constant supply of cliff bars in my bag just because it's like i gotta be eating all the time <laughs> Um, okay. So my favorite thing, uh, this is kind of off the cuff. I'm just thinking about martial arts movies right now. Mm. So I'm going to recommend the movie hero directed by Zhang Yimou, um, that came out in 2002 starring Jet Li, Donnie Yen, who else was in it? Um, Margaret, what's her last name? Maggie Chow, Maggie Yang, I don't even remember. Maggie something. Maggie Yo? She's in everything. She was in okay. Crash Tiger and Hidden Dragon, and she's in this new Grandmaster movie about the the Yip Man that's coming out that also looks good. But yeah. Was she Hero. the younger one in Crouching Tiger? And, and, yeah, she's yeah. the younger one. Yeah. yeah. She's in that movie. Um, anyway, some of the best cinematography. The, uh, the DP is incredible. The screenplay is incredible. The performances, the martial arts, the acting, the music. It has one of the best soundtracks. Hmm. 
Um, just incredible, beautiful, gorgeous film. The type of one that you want to rent on Blu-ray, watch on a big screen with a good sound system. But if you don't have that, just watch it on headphones on your laptop. It's still good. But it's just, it's the type of thing that still like influences my dreams. It's just so impactful. I saw it in 2002 or 2003 and I, watch it like five times a year because just so (laughs) most visually and narratively inspiring movies i've seen it's kind of you know like rashomon the akira kurosawa like maybe 1950s era movie where they tell the same story from a few different points of view Mm -hmm. hero is kind of like that and but with each retelling the whole color palette of the movie changes like they're all wearing green and all the sets are green and all the whatever are green and the next one it's blue or it's red and it's white and so it really separates the space and like the different versions of reality. You know, it's like which one was truth or what aspect of the truth is being portrayed with this retelling. And you see these same events come out in really different ways. Um, character development is just wonderful. And of course, they all have just these amazing, beautiful uh, martial arts sequences. So, yeah, incredible film. Totally love it. Check it out. All right. That's a good pick. Well, Garrett, where can people uh, find out about you or get in touch if they would like to? Um,. GarrettGibbons.com is a good starting point. G-A-R-R-E-T-T-G-I-B-B-O-N-S. I also have Garrett Gibbons with no punctuation on like every social media thing that I know of. It's <laughs> <laughs> certainly Twitter and YouTube. You know, Twitter. I'm, I'm at Garrett Gibbons. Uh, YouTube channel is Garrett Gibbons. Facebook fan page is Films by Garrett. Facebook slash Films by Garrett. My personal thing is Garrett Gibbons, but I probably won't accept your friend request because I just <laughs> ignore those now. Um, unless we actually went to high school together, Mindy, if you're listening. I've never found you on Facebook. Actually, I don't know anyone named Mindy that I went to high school with. But um, yeah, so those are those are places where I am, if you care. And um, I'm friendly. All right. So it's always good to hear from people. <laughs> Well, um, thanks for thanks for coming on the way station, Garrett, and um, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon when you are making musicals. Thanks. <laughs> thanks to Garrett Gibbons for joining us this week. Be sure to check out his work at GarrettGibbons.com, and you can see some of the things he's been working on. You can read more about The Way Station or subscribe at WayStation.co. Follow at underscore The Way Station on Twitter or at WayStation on app.net. Or you can like the Waystation Facebook page. If you like the show, be sure to leave a review in iTunes, which helps other people find out about it. To get in touch, go to waystation.co slash about. You can also check out my website, noahreed.net, or follow me on Twitter or app.net at noahreed, N-O-A-H-R-E-A-D. Thanks again for listening. Tune in again next week for a new episode of The Waystation. <laughs>